it was this magical moment where people would walk into this room and you would just see them like they're relieved. They would, they're <laughs> they would, these smiles. They'd be like, Oh my God, there's a whole room of people just like me. This is amazing. And that's what we've tapped into. That's the movement. Hello, my name is Luis de Oliveira, founder of Del Espada, and this is a place to talk. Today we are with David Harry Stewart, who traveled from LA to meet us in the neighborhood of Santush in Lisbon. He founded media company Aegist, addressing the modern 50 plus lifestyle. David shared anecdotes of how society overlooks this group of people. So let's get right to it. Uh, I, go to, I go back to the bathroom and in the middle of the flight, and there's three of them in a row, and seeing three of them sitting together is enough, but they have eye masks that are like animal print or like crazy fluorescent like triangles, <laughs> like, like the whole thing. Like they, they didn't like, they couldn't have like a blue eye mask or a black eye mask. No. Hold on. So you're painting a picture. What did you make of this? What does it say about the Washington to Lisbon route? <laughs> Is I, it full? I, I, like I wouldn't, unless I was sitting in that seat, I wouldn't have noticed this. Like you wouldn't really register it if you're All not these people the in. But you get them coming in and then you get the effect of the series. Um, like I, I, if there was just, like if I'd been sitting there, I was like, oh, that's weird. But if you're sitting in the front, it's like, boom, 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 boom. It's like, wow. It's like the fluorescent tribe. <laughs> they were like a moving art project. Like if you think fluorescent, like, oh, I'm going to wear like a, a yellow, like even if you wore like a bright yellow jumpsuit, it wasn't like that. It was like, like. But like, now, now, now you've got me intrigued. I want to know what the meaning of this is. You, you're just satisfied with describing it. But I want to know what was why? the purpose of this art project. Yeah, I think it movement. was like, um, I, the vibe I got was it's like a tribal signifier. Like they are a family and they're clearly odd. I got a real like super eccentric math science vibe off of these people. Like they work at like NASA or DARPA or something. Uh, and like they, it's just like what they do. They just dress like this and they don't think twice about it. Like there was nothing self-conscious about them. It was just like, oh, this is what, it, this is what we do. When this we is what we do. This yes. is how we dress. We are, we're the Joneses and this is how we dress clearly. Cause we're Joneses. What were the ages of the youngsters? The kid, I think. Cause I, I'm, I'm trying to match that to I'm teenage the, rebellion. See if the kids So the young are, kid is like 14. Oh wow. So and he, then I would say. He was playing ball. The next one was probably, and I think the other two were probably in their twenties, mid twenties. And then dad was probably like 50 or 60. There's nothing rebellious. I mean, if you put dad in like kind of normal clothes, he would look like he wouldn't stand it at all. You put him in this outfit, he, he definitely he stands out, but you well, put him glows, with glows three other. Dark. It's, it's sort of the vibe, you know that stuff that like um, bicyclists wear, how it's like these all patterns of like yes. crazy checks and color, like it's like that, like the whole thing. I continue speechless. <laughs> I've got I really wanted to I talk to, to them. Well, you should have. David. I wanted you to left me miserable because I want to know. Well, I, I heard them at. And um, it's actually not not very. You know, I think it would be in character for you to go talk to them. I assumed that they were like you know Lithuanian or some like bizarre something I didn't really know about, um, but they were speaking English. Um, they they appeared to be Americans of some exceedingly eccentric tribe. So this is reminding me that you once upon a time were a photographer. Is that 
It's still yeah, true. Once a photographer, always fuck for you. Don't get rid of it. And what are the traits? Observation. You've just painted a picture that has left me, you know, unable to respond. Well, I, as a photographer, what you want to do is you first observe, um, and then you interact, and then you capture. You engage. You, you have, have to engage. So you have to talk. It's about. not a passive. Like what I do is not passive. So the one thing that you did with this amazing glowing family was that you did not go in and talk to them. That a photographer. No, should have I really well, but that I wasn't. Like if I had been on the plane working for the New York Times or something, yes, I would have. You would have said that. That really wasn't my role. My role was to just be a passenger and just be like, wow, that's really weird. That's a fair point. I can't. Um, but I think as a, as a photographer, you've, you, you, you develop this muscle where you have to immediately sense what's going on. Like, you know, like I'm looking at you now, like I, I can like, okay, the lights from here, boom, boom. I want, I can. And so you, you realize what your skill set is, what you want to um, communicate with your photograph, and immediately sense how you're going to do that from the other person. And then the next thing is we have to um, instill this sense of permission that it's okay. Like what we're going to do is okay. I'm going to point this at you, and you're going to just pretend I'm not here. Well, not quite. It's more of an interaction. It's a conversation that goes on because there's a feedback loop, right? Like. Every time I push the button, you hear it and you say, oh, that was, it's like, you know, like, oh, that was good. And so we, we engage in a conversation and some of this is me talking and you do something and I record, um, this element of permission is key to the whole thing. So you need to, you need to observe, you need to have a strong point of view of what you want communicated. Um, and then you need to kind of bring this energy to the process where it says it's okay. So um, you, it's, it's a skill set where one becomes very reactive. Like you're, you're very, you're reflective and you, and you think, and it's like, oh, let's pause, let's give this some space. That's, you know, but in my world, like I've been trained to immediately to react. Pounce. Just immediately. It's like, this is how I feel. This is what we're going to do. Boom, boom, boom. Like that. Because that's, that's how my world but has you, been. You've just thrown me off because I've got this picture of the photographer where you, you are almost a fly on the wall. But here you're saying, no, you have a fraction of a second to get permission mm -hmm. and to get that person to talk back to you, uh, even if it's not using words, right? And, and well, we're talking that, about that different, sounds like a, a challenge, right? Well, there are different kinds of photography. So if I'm like a war correspondent, no, I'm not you're interacting not, with people. Fair point. That's an extreme case, though. If you're a documentary photography. But if you do what I do, I cause things to happen. So, like, I cause the photograph to happen. It doesn't accidentally happen. Like, I make, you know, I put up, I put up the lights. I, you're going to stand here. You're going to look like this. I want you to, you know, here's my camera. It's, a, it's an entirely artificial thing. It's not fly on the wall. Um, I, I make this happen. And there's a difference between people who do this sort of thing and then the people who are more invisible and just kind of blend in. So I don't really do that. I've always been intrigued why people end up doing certain things. And the reason I started with photography is that right now you are up to your neck in ageist and, um, which I could call a, a media company, right? And I've always wondered how much of the photography informed what you're doing right now. And listening to you, um, the observation bit was what I had latched onto, that Aegis in a way is a project that is observing the world mm -hmm. rather than 
assuming things about it. <laughs> Have I got that right? Uh, yes. And, uh, you know, what we do is we reframe what we've seen. So it's, it's a very similar thing. It's like observe, react, and then put our point of view on top of it. We're not, um, we don't, we are not benign observers. We have a very clear point of view and we articulate that through the visual vernacular and through the actual words that we use. So we very much like in my, in my previous life, I did a lot of editorial photography and I, and I did advertising and that's all about, that's none of that is benign. Vanity Fair is not like fly on the wall. They have a very clear point of view. Anna Wintour has a clear point of view. If you're gonna, if something's gonna be in that magazine, it goes through her lens. And that's, um, that's the skill set that I have. This, this surprises me again, because I had always assumed that you had seen something in society and were not really, I guess you didn't have an agenda. You didn't want to um, go and tell someone that you had made this happen, that this was a real thing happening mm -hmm. in society. But now you just painted it in a different way. No, I haven't. You said you frame, you reframe what yeah, you observe because it's this, important. these changes or these people. It's the language. It's the articulation of the observation. So I can see you and I can, if I just use photography language, I can, I can see you and I say, oh, you're really playful. Let's do that. Or my point of view coming into the um, photo session may be all about movement. So then I'm going to take you and I'm going to put you through that. Or it may be, I'm Richard Avedon and I, want to, I just want to see the white and the clarity of you. So you exist, but you exist through my vision. With Aegist, we observed this phenomena and it was puzzling to us. And it took us many months of uh, research and interviews to understand what was the motivation behind what was going on. And so we identified a bunch of um, underlying behavioral changes and drivers. And then the challenge was, okay, what's the visual vernacular that expresses that? And, and that's the, and that's, that's the editorial bit. That's exactly. the reframing. Right. So it's not, it, it, I don't quite know how to express this. The, every, everyone has a point of view. Everyone has a point of view and they express that point of view in, they have a choice about how they want to express that point of view. And we had to sort of, I have a, really good skill set in my, the way I take pictures. So I can choose to do things in a lot of different ways. And with ages, we had to make a conscious choice about this is what this is about. This is what this looks like. So we're going to use this frame. When you, when you started, it felt to me that you were going to be an advisor to other people. So uh -huh. you had observed something yeah. and you were then going to go and explain it to them yeah. and perhaps throw in a few extra tips on what they could do about it. Right. Today, Aegis has evolved into um, a community of people. Is that the best way to describe where you are now? I would describe it as a movement. As a movement. Yeah. And so the reframing is is what you're trying to give them a voice. You're trying to give them a way of presenting themselves. We are the, the champion. World. We were, um, we give people permission to, uh, to be who they feel they can be or who they are. And we do that through showing these pictures and telling these stories and people will say, Oh, that's me. 
I recognize you, that. I can do you, that. You've confused me now because these are people that are singular. So just to backtrack a little bit, these are people above a certain age who are not following patterns that people have assumed are the normal ones. But mm -hmm. that, but actually that normality may not even exist anymore, Correct. right? And so they're, they're active, they're entrepreneurial, mm -hmm. they're creative, they're doing things that we associate with younger people. Mm -hmm. And they, they often plow on into advanced age, mm -hmm. right? 80s, 90s or, mm -hmm. or whatever. So the, these people sound like confident people. Yeah, they are. They don't need anyone to reframe them. So we're talking about two different things. What we do is we illuminate what we say are the North Stars hidden in plain sight. And they are very much as you've described. Uh, however, they may also have certain insecurities. I can tell you that I've interviewed, I don't know how many thousands of people I've interviewed, almost all of them, the very last thing they say to me is, uh, I hope I've been helpful, but you have to understand I'm, a, I'm an oddity. I'm on the end of the curve. There aren't other people who live like I do, who do like, who behave the way I do. And I have to say, well, I'm sorry, but there's Meanwhile, like, you're on interview 11,000. Yeah, there's like, you know, millions of people just like you, but you're not able to see them because they're, they're disguised and you're being told by all this media messaging that they don't exist. And I'm here to tell you, there's a lot of them around. We, we just had a, um, this wonderful event in Los Angeles, YBL. Um, and it was this magical moment where people would walk into this room and you would just see them like... They're relieved. They would, they're relieved. They would these smiles. They'd be like, oh my God, there's a whole room of people just like me. This is amazing. And that's what we've tapped into. That's the movement. So it's, we champion, we give people permission, and we say, if you're not part of this group and you'd like to be, well, here, you can read about this. We can show you how to do this. It's not that hard. But if you don't want to be part of our group, that's okay. Like, you, you, you can be part of another group, it's fine. Why, why did you take that leap from being an advisor, a person that observes the world and just, you know, earned a living on the back of advice? And I know you haven't abandoned it completely, but it does look to me like a lot of your energy is going into this community building or um, what did you call it a moment ago? You movement. said movement. Yeah. That, that feels almost political, doesn't it? But uh, yeah, so, so why are you running this and not sticking to that original plan? What happened there? Go big. This feels bigger and better. Oh my God, yeah. I mean, this is like, this is like change the world big. So, um, so we do kind of three things. So we, we, we do the advice thing, which is how we work with brands. We work with a lot of big companies and we help them out because they get stuck in the weeds and we say, no, no, you want to come over here. Um, then we do our publishing. But really, the, the movement thing, that's what, um, that's the power, right? So if we think about this idea of age and discrimination about age, if we compare it to any other, um, so say gender equality. So that was a very powerful movement. Um, this is a similar thing. If we think about... Um, just what's happened in the term of, uh, you know, gay rights. So, you know, in the mid 1980s, that was just huge. Well, it wasn't, it was a, a very important issue and it did change the way people perceive things. It just, yeah. Flipped like, it around. Suddenly, yeah. um, the whole idea of gender is even called into question. So there's a whole, like now people are very willing to talk about a spectrum of gender versus binary. And that's, I mean, I don't know, that took like two years and it was suddenly like, oh, really? Okay. 
But that's, that's a movement, and that's, that's where we're at. So why has it taken so long? Uh, other movements seem to have made progress, right? But you've implied, <clears throat> and, and your gathering kind of implies it even further, that the movement itself is not formed and people don't even recognize that they have a sufficient voice or numbers. So w what has been going on here to uh, have um, taken so long for it to come to fruition? Well, I think that this is, um, that's a really interesting question. And I think that that, uh, there are a couple of differences here. So race is something that's static. It just kind of is what it is. And gender, for the most part, is static. Age is not. Age is dynamic. So it's, the, it's like the only thing that's constantly changing. And age is also something that results in something most people don't want, which is death. So it gets, it gets very, it's a much more confusing thing. And I, I think that with, with our thing, this idea of youth culture is, uh, in human history is a fairly new thing, right? So like post-war, really? Yeah. So, um, the idea of, uh, like children in the 1800s were just small adults. Like there was no age discrimination. It was just a question of, can you do the thing or can't you do the thing? Okay. We don't I care what you mean. We don't yes. care. There were no lines there were no line. that didn't separated matter. one side from the other. Didn't matter. But then we get into um, like happy birthday only became popularized in the late 1920s because previously that your birthday didn't matter. Like if you talk to like my grandmother, who's been dead a while, but you know, she was born in the late 1800s. She wouldn't know like people's birthdays were just like something didn't really matter. It wasn't an important thing. Then we kind of you get for you kind of fast forward into the 60s sexual revolution and this whole youth thing started but it was a really rapid immediate change so if you look at like the the actresses from like the 50s look at grace kelly grace kelly's 22 and she's dressing like she's 50 because that was that's people aspired to be that that's that's where the power was that's where people had the gravitas and then suddenly this whole youth quake happened and then youth became idealized but in the and it's, and it's continued and, and youth is really awesome and it's great. But what, what we're saying is this single-minded focus on this is uh, out of balance. And that there is, there's wisdom and value up and down the age column. We're not, I'm, I'm not saying I'm better than anyone. I have, like, I have certain skills and I have a certain knowledge set that's, that's useful and valuable. But so does somebody who's 20. They're, they're really awesome, but just in a different way. So I, I want to go back to the youth culture thing. Um, I, you know, why did the media latch on to youth? The youth quake was because uh, youth took to the went to the streets. You know, became highly visible. But why did media then make that the de facto language that you know they keep referring to? If if the income and the decision making remained with an older group of people, right? You know what happened there. Why is this? Well, it's a complicated question. Um, so was there a moment when youth did have the control of birth strings? No, never. No, never. It's not about that. It's about what do people aspire to? 
that's so all of entertainment and so that means that the older set acquiesced agreed to cede visibility yes to the younger lot they projected yes. themselves into that they wanted to be younger right so this is um something that's very confusing for the for the brands that we work with um this idea the, the reality is that with a couple of exceptions brands don't really move the culture they follow the culture they just say oh this is what people like this is what they want let's give it to them let's give it to them there's you know a brand like nike actually moves the culture so they succeeded in like when i was younger running like i, I used to run track and if you ran in the street in the 1970s you were a weirdo it was a completely aberrant behavior but nike changed that they they moved that they're a rare company uh, in general what happens is and i've i've sat with um, senior vice presidents of a lot of big fortune 500 companies and even though they know that we buy most of their stuff they have trouble thinking about they'll say, they'll say to me louise uh we've spent like the last 30 years focusing on this younger customer and how do we align all of that with now messaging to an older customer they they feel that's a complete disconnect the problem there is um well what we tell them is cool is ageless and just just be cool and stop thinking about age it's going to work the problem there is this interesting thing is the the senior people that i speak to are generally my age but they don't see themselves as being part of their customer base they see themselves like all those original interviews as being aberrant and being strange and outside of the group and thinking oh yes I'm cool, but our customers aren't cool. Like or the people who are buying our cars aren't cool and I have to say to them, well, think that through a little bit because you're really no different than them and even if you are, I bet they aspire to be you. So why can't we do it's it's a it's a question of framing. So youth marketing, young people marketing is all about an aspirational framework. So like if you're 20 maybe your hero is Kim Kardashian are you ever going to be Kim Kardashian no do you believe you're going to be Kim Kardashian no do you think you're going to be Kanye no but you aspire to them they are your role models when you get over a certain age that drops out and it's no longer an aspirational framing it's this strange medicalized outlook that says like oh you're Oh be, be afraid be, be very afraid like oh this terrible thing is going to happen to you oh my god you need this bag of medication immediately you're going to die so it's just this completely different thing and we say why it's a much more feathered process isn't it one where yeah why can't there's why no can't, line that you suddenly cross instead you keep on being young but you acquire well, why can't why can't i'm 60 why can't i have role models why can't i aspire to something other than merely accepting this kind of grim reality like well, you can do that if you want but what we say is no like we presented it an aspirational framework you asked me earlier what is this lens why am i why am i putting on this um this why am i using this why are you reframing why am i reframing it's because of that why can't i why shouldn't i take you and show you as an aspirational role model i can show you as 
I could, I could, I, I'm assuming if I spoke to you, I could ask you about your various medical problems and what are the difficulties in your life, and I could frame you as this person in deep need of something or other. And headed, headed downhill. And headed okay. downhill. Or I can say, wow, here you are, Luis. Wow, you're running this amazing company. That's great. Wow, you're doing this, that, and the other thing. That's amazing. Wow, you look great. Like, what are you interested in? I can, I can easily frame you that way. It's my choice. What's so, intriguing me when, when I'm listening to your argument is why this has been missed. Right. Well, no, okay. no, hold on, hold on. So you, first you have people running companies who are part of this group mm -hmm. of, of active... Who feel people, they're not. Who but, feel that they're not. Right. Then you have sheer quantity of people because you, you've right. told me that you haven't interviewed five people. You told me you've interview, interviewed thousands. thousands. So th th this is right in front of our nose. Absolutely. And, and yet you, you go back to the theme that right. the... We're thinking primarily of marketing, but we could also look at society at large, right? Has not absorbed right. this, has not accepted it. So right. it's in front of our nose. Why have I? Why are we missing it? I think it's. Um, we shouldn't globalize this so much because I, I think that in certain. Um, I live in Southern California, which is like the epicenter of youth, of everything. Youth. So it's probably the worst there. Okay. You go somewhere like Madrid, Spain. It's a very different ball game, but um, it's, there's still a lot of this. But to answer your question, why? Um, there's a there's a tremendous amount of assumed truths that are false. So one of them is uh, this idea of well, we need to be digital. Okay, right. Um, therefore, and they and somehow that gets linked to we need to be younger. But like you and I are fairly digitally savvy, right? I'm I'm not. I'm terrible at Snapchat, but otherwise I'm pretty good. Like we're all, we're basically all digital now. Like we all consume our content you, digitally. You, although I, if I, I could pick an argument with you, I, I do think that you live on one of those ages that are still the frontier. If, if we yeah, were to that's add true. an extra 10 years to your that's age, true. move 10 years 20. into the past, if you, you, there, there is a barrier there, isn't it? I would, I would say that... Um, but, but you were saying that yeah. within our age, we, we are no different from our younger peers, right? In terms of being we, able to we, adopt technology. We are different because we're not as twitchy. We're so, not as twitchy. What does that mean? Well, technologically twitchy. So if you give, um, you know, like an 18-year-old will immediately adopt whatever the new thing is just because... And then do it again and again whilst we settle new. down. They're okay. just like, oh, wow, this is new. Let's do this. We don't do that because we don't have the time for it, right? But we will adopt whatever technology is useful to us, but it has to be really concrete. So we've noticed when we started, like nobody in our age group was on Instagram, zero. And now we're the fastest growing group on age, in Instagram. Everybody's on Instagram uh, because it suddenly crossed that threshold of having utility. What, you know, when I look at a lot of the cases that I, that I read, can we call them cases? What, what do you call it? People, profiles. profiles. So, or, or these people that we can aspire to or look to, right, that appear in your, primarily your newsletter. Uh, many of them go through processes of transformation. Yes, absolutely. I look at that and I reflect. It's been so hard to get here. I cannot imagine transforming myself. How old are you? I, oh God, I got to do the maths here. I am 47. Okay. Am I 47? You're at the, you're yes. at the, you're at the trough of your happiness. At the trough of my happiness. It doesn't get worse than this. You mean it can only go up from now on? Yeah, from where absolutely. 
No, but I, I hold on. You're, you're distracting me. <laughs> There's a slate of hand here. You made me look at, at my age and telling me that things are going to be amazing from the onwards. But I was asking you that um, a, a lot of the folks that you work with or mm -hmm. you talk to right. will themselves through transformation. Uh, an yes, example would be they have a profession and they move into a new profession mm -hmm. or they um, start a business, which is a, mm -hmm. a transformation as well. Absolutely. Um, so I, I've started a business and I, it just feels like such a lengthy, painful process because mm -hmm. it is an older fashioned business as opposed mm -hmm. to the, you know, um, dot com type things that grow mm -hmm. fast that it, I find it hard to enter the space that you seem to invite people to go, which is to look at your age and say, I know all these things and I can do many new things, right? Well, with you're not this. there. You mean that I have a while to go until yeah. I am able to say that? Absolutely. So um, I don't mean to make it personal, but it's just it's what we've noticed is that um, people need to be alive a certain amount of time to be able to uh, reflect in a way that's not that's non-reactive. And it's about wait, hold on. So reflect in a way mm -hmm. that is non-reactive. What does exactly. that mean? Non-reactive. Well, what that means is in general, um, the first part of people's lives is they are in reaction to their parents. So they're either in alignment or in opposition. It tends to be kind of binary. And then that gets them for some certain period of time. And then they get on a track that's a career track or a family track or some kind of a track. And then it's just head down, move ahead, get it done. Okay. Now this, this period goes on for a while until they're kind of, you know, at some point at around 50 or, you know, late 40s, they start thinking about, hmm, they start to reevaluate things. And then there's a critical mass of experience that happens whereby they can look back and say, this worked, this didn't work. I like this, I don't like this. I don't care what dad said, it doesn't matter anymore. It's this. And they, there are two things that need to happen there. The person needs to be, have the capacity for self-reflection and not everybody can do that. They also need to be in a, a, you know, a financial, emotional family space that allows that to happen. So if you're in crisis about something, that's, you, you, you're not one of those people. Uh, but then you can reflect and you can say a couple of things. You can say, I love what I'm doing. This is great. I want to do this the rest of my life. I'm going to double down. Let's do more of this because this is awesome. I just love this. Or you can say, you know, I think I want to start a business or I think I want to do this other thing. Like we're in Lisbon today. I think I want to live in Lisbon. That's great. I can live in Lisbon. So the kids aren't in the house anymore. There's no constraints of you, sorts. It, and, it's, and it's two kinds of constraints, right? It's the presumptive constraints diminish. Yes. And then the, and then the, and the, the actual the, constraints. The real ones, yes. Also diminish. Also so back. now you've got space and you can say, the other fascinating thing here, Luis, that, that has changed, and this is what the whole thing pivots on. If you're 50, you now have a rational belief you're going to be alive, alive another 50 years. So you say to yourself, what am I going to do? Midpoint. If you're alive, if you're 50 and you think, eh, probably dead at 65. Why reevaluate? Doesn't matter that much. Play golf. Play golf. Play golf and die. Yeah. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> if possible, not on the golf course. You can go do that. But if you're going to be, a, if you've essentially got a 2.0 out there available to you, you, there's this process that people go through and they go, oh, well, what do I really want to do? What do I really want to accomplish? What's the meaning in my life? 
What's that sense of drive? Why? Where is so my purpose? If, if, I've, if I, you've, I have an insight here, and it comes from just listening to you. Mm. you uh, I, I asked you why hasn't it happened before, and, mm. and you, it's you, that. you said, look, it's the dominance of youth culture, and it's just squashed right. any space for other uh, mm. cultures, let's call them, to right. Uh, appear, right? right? But I think you've touched a, a deeper truth here. It, it's that we've entered a moment in time where we can actually see those 50 years ahead of us yes. without being optimistics, optimists, sorry, or people who rely on fabulous genes, right? Who, which, who always existed. Well, there are two different. We can all say now that there's a fighting chance that we have 30 years of good yes. health, possibly 40 years, yes. and 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 maybe even 50. So this is a big change, isn't this it? This is. Th Right, we're, we're really talking about two different things here. So the, the, the first thing is about why has the, the, the marketing, media, branding conversation lagged? Yes. And much of that is really herd behavior. Um, habit. Yes. Habit, uh, reflexive, this is what we've always done, so we're gonna continue to do this. This idea of brand loyalty, which we know from our studies, people our age are no more nor less brand loyal than a 20-year-old, it's the same thing. The People forget that if somebody's 50, they're going to be alive till 90. That gives them a 40-year customer ramp. Isn't that valuable? Yes. These are things that it's difficult for them to enter their mind. The underlying truth, though, the main thing that I emphasize whenever I speak is this. This is the key thing that this idea of longer life, and it's not everyone. So it's really the world is bifurcated. There are people who believe that and people who don't. And the people who, there are a lot of people who have tremendous health challenges, financial challenges. They're not part of that group. And that's quite yes. sad. It's a clear division. In it's society. a clear division. Yes. And it's, some of it's economic, but it's not exclusively. I, we, we know many people who are quite wealthy, who um, really have a tremendous crisis of confidence and they're not, they're not in this group. Um, but there is an economic factor to yes. it. Yes, I yeah. mean, it provides that comfort that, that you, well, I guess the confidence that you need to know that your lifestyle will yeah, get you, you know, those your mortgage is going to get paid, you're going to eat, or, and, and that allows you the space to have the reflection. If you're thinking about dinner or, you know, impending bankruptcy or something, that's not, self-reflection is, is really not. No, it's survival. It's survival, exactly. Maslow's triangle, yes. right? No. I have a, I, I'm, I'm actually going to ask you for help and it, 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 I'll tell you a, a quick story. I'll do it as fast as I can so I don't take over the show. But um, about three to four years ago, I began to, uh, thanks to the help of younger people, in, in that respect, my daughters, uh, who are very young people, 10, 12, that kind of age, I came across things that I'd never noticed before. One of them was plastic bottles. A young lady comes home and campaigns against plastic bottles. Now I've been brought up with plastic bottles. My parents would only drink water out of plastic bottles. And I'd never taken the time to question that. Young lady campaigns, it makes sense, out they go. Young ladies come up again with an issue called microbeads, tiny uh, balls of plastic that have been in a wide range of products to make them smooth primarily. They're, they're, they don't degrade, so they stick around forever looked at that and said, wow, that's quite an issue. We can do something about that. Um, a little bit later on, the ladies came with another campaign, which is all the shrink-wrapped things that we have in our lives, right? Whether it is primarily with food. I think we see a lot of it in food. 
this is back to back, right? It's like mm-hmm. young people coming home with agendas that I had never taken the time to think about right. and to change my life. Um, and so slowly I, I began to inform myself and began to um, develop the, the thought that what we need most is to learn the truth behind things because we are being exposed to things where we have not thought through all the con- consequences. And, and secondly, that we have lived off cheap energy for way too long and it's having dramatic consequences on the world around us. Now, when you read the, the science and when you hear you know, people who have thought about this for a while, it can become very alarming. So I feel a sense of urgency that I've never felt before in my life. And when I step back and, and think about how this is going to change, I have only one point of reference. I look at the younger people, um, people who are 20 years behind me, 30 years behind me, and I look at what my daughters did, and I see a little bit of hope. I don't want to you know, get too excited, but if, if entire society is going to change, it starts with them. Mm-hmm. Now. Meanwhile, we have the people in power. <laughs> Those are the people that you are uh, discussing mm-hmm. uh, and people that you're interviewing. Mm-hmm. These people are living, in many cases, incredibly interesting lives. They're doing incredibly stimulating things. Mm-hmm. Am I looking at the wrong set? Am I, am, I, am I making a mistake here and thinking that only these young people who will have less materialistic instincts, who will have the courage to make big changes to the way that the world's working right now? Or should we be also looking at people like us or us in the future and saying they have to make the change? Have you thought about this? Or, or I, I, this is a very yeah. personal thing. Well, I think right? it's an and interesting I, thing. And, I, and I, I, up until now, I've never really seen people my age or older as a driving force in this movement. The, I think the main thing here is to not look at it in a binary. So not to think of it in terms of younger people, older people. I think that the value here is um, the intergenerational transfer of knowledge and wisdom. So although your daughters have come to you and they've illuminated you about the problems of plastic, they don't have the agency in the world to actually do anything about it yet. You do. You also have the wisdom to say, aha, so if we want to do something, we probably need to do like X, Y, Z. Let's have a look at that. So you need both sides of it. It's not, it's not an either or. And at some point they will be you. And there will be younger people that come to them and say, whatever, you need to look at this. You need to like wake up and see this. And young people, they, because of their lack of experience, they, they have a lack of habits, right? They don't look at, they're not habituated to plastic bottles. They look at a plastic bottle and they say, oh, it could be this, it could be this other thing. We're habituated to plastic bottles. I don't really yes. think about it. Which is why I, yeah. I look to the younger folks to produce change. But you're saying, it, no. It, no, I think it needs to be, we're really big on this idea of intergenerational mentoring. Because the younger people... We need them because they see things because they don't have our experience, right? We're humans are habit forming. We don't like to make 
examine every, you know, I mean, if everything you came across every day, you had to make a decision about, like, is it a good thing or a bad thing, you'd lose your mind. So we just kind of go on habit until some new information comes in and we say, oh, mm, just look at that. So young people are naturally great at that. We have the ability to chain together. Um, we, we have, I guess, I don't really like the word wisdom, but we're able we have, Stop. Why? Why don't you like wisdom? Well, do you, do you think of great beards and pointy yeah, hats and like what councils? Fossilization. Okay. So I, I, I prefer the idea of just, you know, a kind of lifetime of curiosity and learning. So our responsible, our responsibility as older people is to continue to learn, continue to stay curious and open. So when the 12 year old comes up to me and says like, Hey, this plastic bead stuff, this is like, no, go, Get rid we, of it. we gotta yeah. stop this. I'll be like, Oh, where are these things? I didn't know about this. Tell me about this to stay open to that. And their responsibility is the same thing, right? So if we say, for whatever reason, we say, oh, well, um, we can replace them here, but it's kind of difficult here. And this is why, you know, for them to be able to take in that knowledge. And I think it's this, this back and forth. I'm, I work with a lot of people that are much younger than me and I learn tremendous amounts from them about all of their, their, their way of thinking is different than mine. And I, and I love that. I love being exposed to this different kind of, it's not just they're better with digital stuff. They just have like a different way of thinking and approaching. And I love that they get from me. They seem to think I'm, I don't know. What do you provide? Well, they seem to think I'm something. They seem to think I'm important and they like to learn from me. So you provide authority. I, well, I, I have a bigger hard drive essentially. Like I've just been around 60 years. So I've seen like, I've been through Richard Nixon. I've been through like a lot of stuff and you, and you sort of see the way things ebb and flow. And when you're younger, you don't, everything is urgent. Everything, everything is, is urgent and it's, and it's linear, right? It's just like a, it's just a line, like at a 45 degree up. And that's the way you think everything is, but it's not, it's like a sine wave. It's like, ah, you're not going to gradually goes up, but you know, there are ebbs and flows in these things. And, It's, it's so we're a little more, um, we, we have more experience. Yeah. You know, if, if I've learned something listening to you, uh, it, it, you mentioned child labor. <laughs> you said that once upon a time, child labor was acceptable because yeah. there were no boundaries that no. separated one age group from another. Exactly. Until we developed these um, states of life where you mm -hmm. were a child, so you did nothing, stay put, you were whatever in the right. middle, and you did something, right. and then you got old and you, 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 you went and played golf or whatever it was. Right, right. And, and what the lesson here is, is that this is, you just need to blur these things and, and these people need to spend more time together because the I, I, boundaries I, aren't going to get us anywhere. I think that age siloing is um, incredibly destructive. It's who does uh, it punish? Everybody. Both sides. Everybody. So um, if you think about, think about it like um, a mono, like look at what happened to Uber, right? Like Travis surrounds himself with a lot of little Travises and they really run it into the ditch. <laughs> Right. Because there's no like other people adding any outside information. But the same thing happens on the other side. If you have like, you know, a bunch of like old white guys and they're not listening to anybody else, they're going to run, you know, they're going to run into the ditch another way. You, you need to have this um, people learning from different ages, I think is it's the same thing of like 
the idea of having like a, a single gender running a certain thing or a certain organization, it gets wonky. Or we just have like a single ethnic group or something. It's weird. But if you have like these different, like complex, diverse ecosystems are really robust ecosystems. Monocultures, not so much. Yes, they catch a cold and they catch off. a cold, the whole thing falls apart. Yes. So you need to have these different bits coming in and they learn from each other. You know, I've, I was about to thank you for your words of wisdom. <laughs> oh, I failed? <laughs> no, I realized that if I used that expression, I was going to upset you. No, it's okay. So I am going <laughs> to thank you. It's just my quirk. I am going to thank you for your words of learning. <laughs> How does that sound? Okay, thank you. Thank you, David. Thank you so much for joining our conversation and help us make new friends by leaving us a review. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Stay well and see you soon.